us to turn to 1 Thessalonians, where we have been studying this book together this summer. 1 Thessalonians, we are in chapter 4. So we'll be tackling the uh, first part. Just turn it on. Thanks. Um, first part, it's chapter 4. As you're turning over there. Alright, so if you guys would stand for the reading of God's holy word, we will begin in verse 1 and go through verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that is this in matter. No one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent upon anyone. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sure... Probably at one point, I know that I have, asked the question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Maybe it was in regards to kind of the next stage of life or a new job opportunity or a certain issue that you were facing, but you probably have asked the question, God, what do you want from me? What is your leading here? Where do you want me to go? I remember wrestling with this question right before I proposed to my wife. And uh, we had been uh, taking it really slow and getting to know each other for a long time. Uh, we had dated in our last year of college, and uh, we were seeking the counsel of other people and, that were involved in our life. And it was at that crucial moment where I was wondering, God, is this the right time? Is this the right person? Is this what you want from me? I remember a particular day that I went away just kind of for a day of prayer and I was just hiking in the woods and talking to God and just reading his word and just taking time to pray and I was asking him, God, is this what you want for me? Well, it was a weighty decision, one would affect the rest of my life and hers and you guys know what happened. All right, All right so I, did, I got married, um, just in case you want to know, um, even though my wife is not here. And it turned out to be a great uh, decision, all right? And the Lord led us in that path. He showed us his will, we believe, and we walked out in 
faith in those things. But needless to say, in all types of ways, we ask that question, God, what is your will for me? And we seek the Lord fervently. Sometimes it's really difficult for us to know what is God's will in a given situation. But thank God it's not always that way. Sometimes God just flat out says, this is what I want for you. This is my will, as we'll see today. So as we open up God's word here in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to see that because God's will is for us to be sanctified, we are to flee from sexual immorality and to pursue brotherly love. God lays it out for us very clear here and showing us what his will is. As we've seen so far, the tone of this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is very positive. It's very upbeat. It's very encouraging. This church is actually doing very well. Sometimes Paul goes right out, like in Galatians, and says, look, you got problems, and we need to talk about it. But for this one in 1 Thessalonians, he's saying, you are doing very well. Keep running this race. It's upbeat, and it's encouraging, because verse 1 tells us that Paul... He had been there and given them very clear teaching on the basics of a life with God. And they had put that into practice. So much so that they were an example to all of the area around Macedonia. They responded and listened. And so now what Paul is encouraging them to is just to simply do that more and more. See, for a short time they had walked the walk and they had talked the talk. But there was much more of the race to go for them, just like there is for us. We've talked about before how the Christian race is an endurance race. It's not a sprint. It's not a 100-meter sprint. It's a marathon in which requires long obedience in the same direction, day in and day out. And so Paul does what any good coach would do. He encourages them in the things that they've done well, he celebrates the wins. He tries to lift up his players or his team, as it were. But then he goes on to make them better. He says, we can't be content with staying where we are. We have to grow. Just like a good coach wants to stretch his team to develop. A good coach tells his team, staying in the same place developmentally is not an option. We have to grow. We have to get better. We have to perfect our skills. And the same is true of the Christian life and the race of sanctification. See, some of us have just started this race. Maybe we're baby Christians and we're just learning what it means to walk the walk and talk the talk. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for several years and others have been walking with the Lord for a lifetime. Maybe we're in the middle of that endurance race or towards the end of that endurance race. Maybe some of us can even see the finish line of that endurance race. And yet there are probably still some of us that have yet to get in the race. We have yet to trust in Jesus. We have yet to surrender our life to him, to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. We have yet to start the race. But needless to say, we are all somewhere along that spectrum. Listen to this quote about the Christian walk as a marathon. You have set out on the walk, so keep walking in that direction in order to please God. Walk more and more that way. That is the message. Biblical spirituality is neither a roller coaster ride 
nor is it a, a journey of dramatic U-turns. Where the word of God is being taught, biblical spirituality consists of a long obedience in the same direction. I love that phrase, long obedience in the same direction. That describes the Christian life. Not a sprint, but a marathon. And I have an analogy here that I think might be helpful since Santo has been giving his own Karate Kid analogies. It's time for me to give mine. And so if you remember, in the Karate Kid, Daniel's son is learning uh, in the very beginning about the basics, okay? And the particular scene that uh, I remember is him painting the fence, okay? So Daniel's son is there painting the fence up and down, up and down. He gets done with one section, he thinks he's done, and Miyagi, he, he turns to him and says, he looks, says, whole fence, whole fence, not just this one section, whole fence. And then Santa reminded me, he actually later said both sides. <laughs> whole fence, both sides. In other words, you're just getting started. You're just getting started, Daniel, son. You have a, so much more to go and to learn. And he did. He was there all day. Same is true of the Christian life. It's a long journey in the same direction. Waking up day after day and saying, I am going to follow the Lord by His grace and by his strength, and I'm going to pursue holiness day by day. That's our aim. But God doesn't leave us here. He kind of begins to put some meat on that skeleton, as it were. And in verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How refreshing that is when God just says, This is what I want from you. It's not guessing. It's not asking the Lord, well, I don't really know what you want from me in this situation. We know every single moment of every day, God's will for us is to be holy and to grow in that holiness day by day. See, sanctification in the Bible is a term that talks about that process of growing, that process of becoming more and more like Christ in our speech, in our action in the intentions of our heart and the thoughts of our mind each and every day. God is making us into the people that he wants us to be, putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And it's a battle. It's an ongoing process that won't be complete until we see the Lord. We're not going to be perfected on this side of heaven, and yet that's what we strive for. If you go down the highway, you may see those signs, work in progress. And that's us. We are God's work in progress. He is working in us what he wants to be done. So we can be sure, 100% sure, that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we are facing, that God's will is for you and for me to be holy as he is holy. But what does that look like in our lives? I mean, practically speaking, what does that look like? What Paul does, he goes on to give us a few pictures of what that looks like. And the first concrete example here is to flee from sexual immorality and pursue sexual purity. Remember, God is not against sex. He created sex. Sex is a beautiful thing in its proper design. 
It's a beautiful thing that he created for a man and a woman who has been joined together to enjoy it and to glorify God in it. But it's like fire. Sex is kind of like fire. It's great to sit next to a roaring fire to enjoy the flames and feel its heat in the cool of the evening. But as soon as that fire gets out of the fire pit, what happens? It's a problem. Yeah, it gets out of hand, right? When that fire gets out of the fire pit, all hell breaks loose. Sex is the same way. God designed sex for a specific purpose in the confines of marriage. And when it goes outside of that, all hell breaks loose. And what we see here in the, the church here at Thessalonica, verses 3 through 8, if you look there, there was a problem with sexual immorality. And apparently some people were having sex just like they were before they had become Christians, with whomever and whenever they wanted to. Even to the point of, it suggests in verse 6, that they were sleeping around with each other's spouses. See, this young church plant not only had problems with sexual immorality, but they lived in a highly sexualized culture there in that city, historians tell us. Much like our city, in our world, and in our day. Listen to this quote that describes the culture's attitude about sex here from someone in that time period. It says this, We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day bodily needs, but we have wise wives to produce legitimate children and serve as trustworthy guardians of our homes. It's a quote from someone in that time period that talks about their attitude towards sex. And I wonder how much it is like our day when we look at our music, when we look at our movies, when we look at our popular culture. We live in a highly sexualized culture, just like the Thessalonians. And yet, God's instruction to us is the same as it is to this young church plant. That is to flee sexual immorality. Paul reminded them, as he does us, that that's not who we are anymore. He says, that's who you used to be. You used to be a person that ran around and did whatever you wanted with your body. But that's not you anymore. You have been bought with a price. And you are to live in purity. And sex is to be its design in marriage and marriage only. We are told here that we are to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Now that we are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And now we have the power. Remember that song that says, you know, I got the power? Well, now because of Christ in us, we have the power to say no to sexual immorality and yes to sexual purity. God has given us the power. No matter how strong that urge is late at night when we know we're alone, when we know it's just a few clicks away or on our phones, whatever it may be, or on the TV, or when an old flame runs us down on the street and asks if we want to meet up later, this text is telling us when temptation's coming, we better get to running. When temptation's coming, we better get to running. 
to turn the other way and to run in the other direction towards Christ. And now we have the power to do that. See, the issue is not whether or not we are going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted. Our own sinful flesh and our sinful culture, we are going to be tempted. The question is, what are we going to do when we are tempted? The issue that Paul brings up to these young Christians is one of self-control over one's body. Physically, mentally, spiritually. And you know what? We, we try to practice discipline, self-discipline, in all kind of areas of our life. We try and be self-controlled in our eating and in our dieting, in our exercising, and taking care of the bodies that God gave us. We try to be disciplined in our speech towards one another and towards others. We try to be self-disciplined in our parenting and in our, our temper and in our anger with our kids. So why wouldn't we want to be self-controlled and disciplined when it comes to our bodies and when it comes to our minds and it comes to our sexual purity? God says that we are to fight with that same vigor that we train our bodies or control our speech as we control our desires. And to highlight the seriousness of this, God gives us a very clear warning. Look at verse 6. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. We are reminded here to forget about Marvel's Avengers and think about the Avenger. God is the Avenger. Surely we don't want to be on the receiving end of that vengeance. One commentator puts it this way, the apostle reminds the sexual offender that it is not the officials of the city nor the spouse of the one with whom he or she committed adultery, but rather the Lord himself, who is the avenger in all these things. Let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in. And if that wasn't heavy enough, Paul goes on in verse 8 to put a final nail in the coffin. He says, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, as destructive as sexual sin is to you, and as destructive as sexual sin is to the person that you committed it to, as destructive as it is to a community of a church, the worst part of all is that complete disregard to the God who made you and who gave you that sexuality in the first place. We need to recognize that it's first and foremost disobedience against God. And then in those other ways. I think God wants to remind us here that that's not who we are. Yes, we may struggle with those temptations, but we are not those that let those temptations run wild. That try to go and get what we want in those temptations. That's not us anymore. He wants what's best for us. God is not holding back when he tells you not to take the fire out of the fire pit. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to protect me. He doesn't want us to get burned. He wants us to be sexually whole. He wants us to know wholeness, purity as he describes it. 
Well, there's also another way in which Paul kind of puts some flesh on this skeleton of pursuing holiness, and that is the idea of brotherly love in verse 9. Now, here in South Jersey, when we say the city, we don't mean New York City. What city do we mean? No. What's our city that we associate with? Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia is called the city of what? Brotherly love. Now, I've been to Philadelphia quite a few times, and I don't know if it's actually true um, or why it's called the city of brotherly love, but it's called the city of brotherly love because the word itself, Philadelphia, is brotherly love. That's how our English Bibles translate that. Now, apparently, the Christians here in the church in Thessalonica were doing very well at this. Paul says you're doing a great job at loving each other. So much so that I probably don't even have to remind you to do so. And Paul simply is saying, I'm urging you to do this more and more. Again, like the good coach that says, doing a great job, guys, but we're going to get better. Okay? There's always room to grow in our love for one another. So how are we doing in our love for one another? How does New City doing in loving each other? When folks look at us, do they say, man, they love each other well? Or do they say, I don't want to be a part of that group because they don't love each other well. They're talking behind each other's backs, at each other's throats, all up in each other's business, not loving each other like Christ. Why would I want to be a part of that group? When people look at our church, when they look at our lives, do they see us loving each other like Christ? Surely we are doing well in some of those categories and surely there are places for us to grow in our brotherly love. I think God is encouraging us that we are doing well, but we also have places to grow. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Guys, there is a world watching us. There is a city watching us, how we do life together, how we love each other. What are they seeing? Are they seeing a picture of Christ or are they seeing the opposite? It's well worth the look into our own hearts. But Paul continues on and he says this is what brotherly love looks like in verses 11 and 12. He says that we are to aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, to work with our hands so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. We don't have time to unpack all of these verses here, but what Paul is doing for us, what God is doing, is giving us a picture of what brotherly love looks like. It would suffice to say that brotherly love shows itself, right? It's, if we have brotherly love, it should show itself in the way that we act towards each other. And not only in the good times, not only in the good and easy relationships, but in the hard ones too. You guys all have those. I have those. The hard relationships, that's really hard for me to love that person like Jesus. And then I have those that are really easy for me to love like Christ. But the call is the same for both of them to grow in our brotherly love. Because the world is watching us, we can be sure of that. 
They're watching us. They're making assumptions. They're coming to conclusions as they watch our fellowship. May we be those who point them to Christ. You see, God cares deeply about our holiness and our sanctification. It's clearly that His plan after He saves us through the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone, that He would make us look more and more like Jesus each and every day. God's will is that you and I would be holy, set apart unto Him. Holy in our sexuality, holy in our love for one another, holy in every single area of our life. Now remember, we are a work in progress. But you need to remember, I need to remember that we are God's work in progress. He's the one at the driver's seat, okay? He's not the co-pilot, he's the one, he's the pilot. And he's driving this ship of our lives. He is helping us to pursue holiness. He is showing us where we need to grow. He is helping us through his Holy Spirit to have the power to say yes to righteousness and no to ungodliness. And what he starts, he finishes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this message. Uh, Lord, from 1 Thessalonians, it's a beautiful text for us just to meditate on today and throughout our week. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us what is pleasing to you. God, we pray that you would make us into the people that you want us to be. God, that you would help us to have a thirst for holiness, a thirst for righteousness. God, sanctify us more and more each day until you bring us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.